0: Welcome back to another episode of Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all over a nice cold beer. I'm Evan Gertner, and I'm Mike Jaegley. Well, today we're going to continue our discussion and Lutheran... probably finish it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Hopefully, but we're not going to rush it. We'll see where we end up. The uh, we're, we're going to continue our discussion on well uh, on. The the first Sunday in Advent, winter po- from Luther's Winter Postal. Uh, this all comes from uh, Luther's works, volume seventy five, uh, and so we're just there's so much good stuff here that we've decided that we're we usually go through and give sort of an overview. This time we're gonna take the time to actually wade through the the information here because it's just it's just so good. So
1: so we'll see. Uh, we'll take our time, we'll do it, do it, do it right. Um, you can and- listen back to episodes uh, 67 through 70 to get kind of the background of winter postal and the epistle reading and the gospel reading. We're just gonna now get into the meat of the third part that Luther has on Matthew 21, 1 through 9, and he titles this, The History and the Secret Meaning.
0: So the first part was looking at this gospel through the eyes of faith. The second one was looking at this gospel as an example from Christ. For good works. For good works. And then there's this third part, which is The history and the secret meaning. Now, the whole first part, what we're going to the history, the the history of it, which is really Luther says. Well, you have to sort of look at the history. Why did Matthew write this? Why did he
1: pick Zachariah? He what? could have included other passages that look forward to a Messiah, but he quotes Zechariah 9.9. And, and you know, what's he hoping to accomplish?
0: And, and what, what Luther is saying is that Matthew is really looking to accomplish. You have to sort of look at the environment Matthew was living in. This is a
1: people who were waiting for a great king. They're looking for a king that comes with great public admiration, worldly pomp and glory, a king against their enemies, in this case, especially the Roman Empire. And they would have a king that would bring them liberty from their captivity to Rome, overthrow with power the mighty men, and put in its place the Jews as lords and as princes. They hoped for and accepted, expected nothing less than revolution. Right. And so so the, the, the reason Matthew, at least
0: Luther's take on why Matthew chose this specific reading, is because this reading from Zechariah really says,
1: no, don't expect that. And- Zechariah as a prophet, let's place some in his time period, 6th century BC, the kingdom of Israel got destroyed in 722 BC. The kingdom of Judah gets taken away in captivity 586, 587 BC. Uh, then there is years of Babylonian captivity. Then the Persians take over the Babylonian Empire, and the Persian Empire doesn't want to rule a captive, exiled people, so they send the Jews back to Jerusalem. You've got Ezra, you've got Haggai, and and Zechariah as a prophet in this time. Contemporary to this would be Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel builds a temple in Jerusalem, Ezra has a description of the dedication of that temple. It's filled with a great devotion to the word of God and an acknowledgement that that temple that's built in this world has nothing compared to the temple that God has in heaven. And so Zechariah as a prophet is getting the people to look at the word of God as their driving force for the presence of God in the world and not to look for the kingdoms of this world. So what, what Luther says
0: here is, talking about why Matthew chose this. He says, the the prophet also calls him Christ, or the, this coming king, righteous and having salvation. And Luther says, this truly is a different deliverance than any bodily freedom, power, and glory, which ends with death, under which everything must remain eternally. So, and then Luther goes into, you know, in order to really look at this prophecy from Zechariah and, and, say, well, okay, yeah, this is going to be some sort of great worldly kingdom, you almost have to treat sin as a joke. Where what Luther says is that you, know, they're, they're, you almost have to re- disregard the struggle that, that this king is really taking on, is the struggle against sin, death, and the devil. There's a, a much
1: bigger fight than any worldly kingdom. If you look for only a worldly king... Then you're making the struggle this king, Jesus, is bringing as a joke. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that, well, that's what Luther says. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm
0: quoting Luther. It yeah. is, it, he says, as if it were a joke about sin and death or the power of the devil. So, so he specifically says, you know, these preachers who got people to expect some worldly king must have treated as if sin, death, and the devil were jokes. That,
1: now, that stuff doesn't matter. The big thing is to have a worldly kingdom. The big thing is we need to defeat Rome. Right, right. And Matthew incorporating Zechariah is reminding his audience that the big thing is sin. The big thing is death. The big thing is the devil. And this is what Christ as the king comes uh, to make his glorious, magnificent entrance. Not as a worldly king, but as a king who rides on a beast of burden. So... Let's uh, let's move on to the
0: next section where we start getting into the allegorical meanings, the, the secret meanings that Luther
1: uses. And this is where he's going to draw um, lines from uh, something that's happening in the text to now something that may be happening in your own inner spiritual life. Right.
0: So he starts out with, Now when they came
1: near to Jerusalem toward Bethphage to the Mount of Olives. So that's the first verse in Matthew chapter 21. And he says, all the apostles say that Christ became man at the end of the world and the gospel would be the last thing preached. Uh, So he quotes from 1 John and, and Paul from 1 Corinthians, highlighting the kind of the end times reality of the king coming.
0: So Luther says, you know, one thing you have to notice here is that Christ does not immediately enter into the city of Jerusalem. But instead, he sends his
1: disciples ahead of him. So this is now where we get to allegory. So we have in the text the simple activity of Christ getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. But before he enters into Jerusalem, he sends his disciples into a village. Now we're going to draw a line to our end of the world moment. Right. When Christ comes again. When Christ comes again, how does it happen? Well, it's going to happen similar to this Palm Sunday entrance. He sends his disciples first. Who are those disciples? The preachers. Right. So Luther equates this preaching office with a public, free, unhindered preaching of the gospel. So as the disciples went in with two people, we as preachers come in as witnesses. And witnesses are two or three people agree. So he takes... Two disciples go in. Preachers are witnesses. Witnesses are always two or three people that agree. We serve as witnesses of what Christ has accomplished. So you start to see this allegory of you've got uh, end of the world. Christ sends disciples. He sends preachers. He sent two preachers. Uh, He sent two disciples. And so that means they came as witnesses. Preachers are witnesses. I feel a little bit like we've got a bunch of pins and maps and pictures on a bulletin (laughs) board, and we're drawing crazy lines. But there is a way to see this with some integrity, and that is that when you read the scriptures, you're not only reading a first century document, and you're not only reading something that changes your own faith story, it changes your end times as well.
0: Another point that Luther makes is what I mentioned a moment ago, that it's, it's free, unhindered, and into all the world, is this idea that Christ sends his, his preachers ahead of him. You know, and, and that's, the, the Luther says, and sending out shows that the kingdom of Christ exists in the public and oral preaching office, which should not stop and remain in one place as it was hidden up until now, uh, but goes publicly free and unhindered into all the world. So basically this this sending out, this the, the, the fact that Christ sent out these two, to go into the city. That city, in Luther's mind, this, this small city of Bethage symbolizes
1: all the world. And this great grace is now going into all of the world through the apostles. Now, with these two disciples going into the village that lies before you, I spoke about the witnesses. He also highlights two disciples, and he says the law And the prophets bear witness. As well as the apostles now bring the law and the prophets when they prophesy Christ. Every speech that stands in the preaching office speaks two things. Speaks the law and speaks the gospel. So there's two disciples, two witnesses that validate the truth. There's the law and the gospel. So a preacher speaks these two things, the law and the gospel. And now he goes into the idea of the village the village is not named. Not mentioning the name signifies that the apostles are not sent to one nation alone, but they're sent into all of the world to go everywhere to all the heathen. And wherever they go, they're supposed to reprove, teach, and exhort without distinction. So when Matthew says that they uh, were sent from Bethphage, Uh, to the Mount of Olives to go into the village and the village is not named. This is a reminder that you go to that village. I go to this village. Someone else goes to another village. We go into these nameless villages, not because they're unimportant people, but because kind of like what we said in the last episode, if you name a good work, then you've boxed it in and you've accomplished it and you can move on. If you name the village that they go into... Then you've named where you have to go to preach the good news, that you're done sharing the good news because you went to that one place and you shared it and now you're done. But if you don't give the village a name, then you never stop. So one of the other points Luther makes here is
0: that, you know, when when, when especially in these days and even today, right, when, when you go into some small village out in backwater, Louisiana or something, you know, you don't expect to run into some very, very powerful person. You don't expect to run into somebody who, uh, you don't expect to run into somebody like uh, the president of the United States who you know, is going to make your knees shake maybe or something. You know, these are just folks, right? These are just folks. And what Luther says is that by calling the world a village, which is what, you know, that by saying go into that village, what, what Christ is trying to do is get the preachers to remember that these are just people, these are just, this is just people in a village. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how powerful the people you're sent to speak to are or how, or how, how, uh, how wealthy they are. That doesn't matter. They're just people in a village. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, so the preacher should have that confidence, knowing that they're just talking, that they've been sent into
1: this quote-unquote village, no matter how powerful or wealthy it is, And they can speak the truth. There might be many kings and princes and learned and rich and everything that's great in the world. But what is key is the disciples went to a village. The next verse that Luther now is going to... Uh, reveal for us is from Matthew chapter 21 verse 2 these words and soon you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me so this is the Luther says the first one that we talked
0: about that we just finished talking about was was a consolation to preachers and then he says this is another consolation to preachers that as soon as you find a donkey and soon you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her untie them and bring them to me so What Luther says is, this is the, the, the preacher should not be concerned about who believes or, or who's going to receive them. For it is decreed, my word goes out from my mouth and shall not return empty. So where the gospel is preached, there'll be some who grasp it and some who don't. And so, so this is a consolation to preachers. You don't, a preacher doesn't need to feel that burden of, of you know, you, you, you speak the truth. That's, that's what Luther is saying. You speak
1: God's truth. You speak God's word. And it's God's word that does the work, not you. So, Mike, I'm going to tell you how this applies to our preacher. Um, a few years ago, I was at this conference. I was talking about the necessity to do mission work. And it said that you are a preacher to save someone from hell. And if you preach the word wrong you might be sending someone to hell. If you're derelict in your work as a preacher, you do not dedicate the time to the craft of preaching. If you're not careful with the words that you have said, you have been placed in that moment to speak those words. And if you fail, you have failed that person's eternity. My goodness. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Now, compare what I heard at this conference about uh, preaching for evangelism to what Luther said. Luther said, do not be concerned about who they are, who will hear. Let me be concerned about that. The world will be against you. Don't let that trouble you. Nevertheless, you will find those who will hear and follow you. You don't know them yet. I already know them in advance. You preach. Let me be in charge. Right. I'm not in charge with my preaching, which also means I'm, I might fall short. But God in his word knows what he's doing. He is willing to be risky and use a frail, broken man to preach his word because he knows that his word is what saves, not the glory of that preacher. So somehow I like all these words, Mike, I like it, but I don't see it how it's connected to go into a village and untie the donkey in the cold and bring them to me. (laughs) This is the struggle with the allegory that you can say a lot of great things, but then draw it back to the text. I'm not sure how it's there.
0: Yeah, it's sort of, I think what he's saying is that, that You're going to, as a matter of fact, I think we get into this a little bit later where Luther starts
1: tying it together. Unfortunately, he doesn't tie it exactly right here. Here's how he concludes this section about the consolation to the preacher. He says this, only go, only preach. What does it matter if it is over against you? For all that, you'll find these, that wherever you want to go, you're going to find an opportunity to preach. uh, And so do it. So go into a village, find a donkey, find a colt. Someone might be confused about where you're doing, do it anyways. Right. Uh, right. That idea of go into the village, find a donkey, find a colt, and other people might be confused about what you're doing. But do it anyways. Right, right. And don't cease.
0: Don't give up. And this is sort of where, you know, it's sort of a sidebar. It's not in Luther, but when when you were talking about the that evangelism conference you went to, um I I I, I believe And Luther says elsewhere that one of the one of the ways you can identify poor preaching is if it instills terror in the hearts that 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 if if somebody is going to church every week and they just feel anxious and terrified, that's that's the sign of of poor preaching.
1: That 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 is not a preaching of the gospel. If the action that's inspired is an action that is coming from trying to run away from fear, right? That is is not good preaching.
0: And and, and so what Luther is what Luther said. And of course, there's going to be times when whatever you know. But if it's every week, if it happens all the time, and you just have this unease that constantly is building as you continue to hear this preaching, then that's bad preaching. I I would it would also be bad preaching though if you're always at ease and always comfortable and never challenged. Exactly, exactly. But the the, the point I'm going to make is that you know, for preachers, you know, there's there's this. If if you go to a conference and and you, it's like you have this anxiety that comes out of it. This anxiety and unease, and there's no gospel there. That that's the what 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 good preaching is is going out and not stopping. Mm -hmm. Going out, speaking the word of Christ, and not stopping. Even when the church is shrinking,
1: even when things are going poorly. So go into that village, find that donkey, find that colt, untie them. Someone else might be confused about what you're doing, do it anyways and bring keep them back it. to me. And keep doing it. All right, so we're going to get to our beer break. Our beer today is from New Holland Brewing Company, which since the sale of Bells and Founders in Michigan is now the largest craft brewery in Michigan that's owned in Michigan. I think Founders and Bells try to think that they're still a Michigan beer, but they're not owned in Michigan No, They're anymore. not owned by Michigan. Uh, yep. This beer we're featuring by New Holland Brewing Company is called the Light Point Peak, uh, subtitled Functional White Ale. To give you a little bit of a description about this beer. It's just sort of like a a light beer. It is a light beer, it's 3.7% ABV. Um, The calories aren't listed on it, but they're marketing it as a light, low calorie option. Here are some things that are strange about it, Mike. It's brewed with coconut water. Raw honey and orange peel and with some spices that are meant to make it a perfect complement for the winter season. It is uh, not good. <laughs> you, know, you can taste those spices. Um, it's I don't, I don't
0: know. Uh, I want to say like... Um, uh, I, do they list the spices there? No, they don't. It's generic spices. It's like nutmeg and I, I taste like different things and I yeah. they're trying to... They're trying to sort of juice it Think of it, it like a,
1: a a light version of a blue moon. Yeah, but no, it, it just you know it it has it has a, a a funny aftertaste. I think that's the coconut water. Yeah, I don't like coconut water. Yeah, I don't know why you would brew beer with coconut water. Just use water. Yeah, yeah. There's it, great water in the west side of the state. There's great water all through the state. You know, but that's yeah. <laughs> In the end, New Holland Brewing Company is not going to be known for the Light Point Peak Functional White Ale. Their main beer that they're really known for is their Dragon's Milk beer. Uh, And uh, I don't know, have we reviewed the Dragon's Milk before? I I feel like we might have. I think we did. Yeah, but they've got that's a a a bourbon barrel aged stout. um, And then they've got. some different flavors of the Dragon's Milk. That's really kind of their, their big brand of I beer. I think they were the first one to do the bourbon barrel thing, and uh, that was,
0: that was uh, great, you know, the, the bourbon barrel beers. Uh, but, yeah, this, this one it sort of misses the mark a little bit. I guess if you're—we uh, we had the, the, the last beer we both didn't like was that blueberry beer, um, and then Maria loved it. So this is this is maybe for somebody else, but not for us. This no, and
1: if you need a light beer, don't get the functional white ale from New Holland. Just get a Coors Light, yeah, or a Labatt. or they're trying to give a
0: light beer some flavor. I think they're trying to give it like more more flavor, um, and it is it has a lot of flavor to it. It's just I'm not fond of the flavor. Nope. <laughs> I guess is, so. Oh well. Oh it's, well. I I I don't know if we'll be finishing this one, but you know I, I
1: I sip on it anyway. Let's keep going. So Luther goes back to this text about the donkeys, and he has an explanation about uh, these two animals that are brought, um, and how he says uh, they're not the same animal. Right. He, There's a he, distinction that's made between the two kind of animals that are brought. There's a donkey and a colt. Right. And so what Luther says is one of them is older
0: and I believe the colt is going to be the young donkey. So, you so have the this, old donkey, right, the, and the, the young colt. Right. And so Luther says, well, why why would we have first of all, why would there be two donkeys? Number one, why specify an old donkey and a young donkey? So he's asking these questions and what he says is that the, the 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 secret meaning that what this means is that the old donkey is is the bodily is the outer bodily man which is compelled by the law and
1: fear and, of death, yeah. hell and shame, uh, worn down, um, external appearances of works, uh, but you just you can't carry that. It's 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 hard. Um, This donkey may be capable of bearing a burden, but works hard under this burden. It's a miserable, it's a pitiable life, uh, exhorted out of fear, out of hell, death, and shame. So he places the old donkey as something that's tied to the law. And then he goes, the young donkey... It, and he specifically
0: says it's one that no one had ever written, written. It goes, that is the inner man, the heart, the spirit, the will, which can never be subject to the law, even if it is tied by conscience and feels a law, but he has no desire or love for it until Christ
1: comes and rides on him. So no one has written on this young, new um, inner man that is energized until Christ comes. Right.
0: So... So then when Christ tells them, I'm reading directly from Luther here, when Christ tells them to untie them, it means that he is telling them to preach the gospel in his name. Be untied from the burden of the law and now be free. So, yeah, and and thus the man is untied, not from the law that he should do nothing, but from the reluctant, heavy conscience that he had from the law, with which he was the enemy of the law and which threatened him with death and hell. So now you have these two that have been untied. These two, the, 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 the outer man and the inner man have been untied through the gospel. And, and, and now to we've Christ. got the
1: liberation of the outer man. The outer man is no longer tied to be a beast, a burden to the law. But now the, the law walks freely with Christ. Right. And then so then
0: you have him, you know, then he commands the two preachers. Remember, that we're gonna st- I'm going to start using the allegorical terms for all of this. So we have the two disciples, the two preachers. We have two preachers that Christ sends into the world. From the world, into the world, he... Un- these into, the village, into the which village, into the, which is village, the world. Which is the world. He, he preaches, they preach the law, or they preach the, the gospel. Which, which unties us from the law. Which unties lo- us from the law. And then they bring these these both the inner man
1: and the outer man back to Christ. And the inner man and the outer man are brought to Christ. And as we are drawn into Christ, there is uh, a joy. And he quotes from Matthew 12. And he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so when we are drawn away from Christ, I mean, when we are drawn away from the burdens of the law, we are lifted up with Christ. So then, it, then he asks,
0: he says, okay, if anyone asks anything of, to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will leave them to you at once. This is Matthew 21.3. So what Luther is saying here is this is the next step. Okay, so, so the, 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 they, have been, they have been sent in. To preach the gospel, sent into the world to preach the gospel. So we've the, now been untied from the law. With with the goal
1: of un- untied it. from the law, untied from the burden of the law. Yeah.
0: They've been untied, they've been sent with the goal of doing this. They haven't actually because Christ is still giving them instructions, right? These are still the instructions of Christ. And so he's saying, You're going to be sent into the world to untie these these burdened consciences. One is going to be the old man, outer man, one's going to be the inner man, and you're, you're to bring them back to me. But if anybody says to you, Christ is telling them, if anybody says to you, anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And that person, whoever it is, is going to
1: say, okay. For where the gospel begins to untie the conscience from its own works, it sounds just as though it were forbidding good works and keeping the law. Therefore, all teachers of the law... Or as the gospel calls them, writers and scribes say, if all of our works are nothing, and if the works are done according to the law are evil, well, then we will never do good. You forbid good works and you repudiate God's law, you're a heretic. Just so, untie the cold. I want to make people free and not bad. So so Luther says
0: that when when Christ tells his preachers, you know, the Lord the Lord needs them, this is the way you answer those who say, when you're preaching the gospel and saying, you're preaching freedom from the law, freedom from the burden of the law. And, and the people, people ask, what about good works? What about good works? You say, the Lord needs these people. That's... That's what, so. This is what the, this text shows how the apostles are to act toward the people who, who question about the the, the, the gospel. They what are to you, say, Yeah, go ahead. They are to say their Lord needs them. That is, they are to instruct them in the works of law and the works of grace, and thus say, We do not forbid good works, but we untie the conscience from false good works, not so that they live free to do evil, but so that they come under Christ, their true Lord, and under Him
1: do truly good works. For this, he needs them and wants to have them. So now we have the untying and an untying of the conscience that's burdened to do good works, but for false purposes. And now we are brought under Christ. And what do these animals do? They ride under Christ. They, they carry. Yes, exactly. So, so this is this is um, this is our allegorical reading that now is going to continue with Matthew chapter twenty-one, verses four and five. When Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet who says, say to the daughter of Zion. So now we're going back to Zechariah where Luther has spent quite a bit of time already in his first part and second part. And actually Luther just spends, you know, uh, a paragraph on this really. And his first sentence is beautiful. He says, this prophecy has already been <laughs> sufficiently explained.
0: But one thing he does make a point of is that, that God made a promise through Zechariah and he fulfilled it. And For the sake is, of divine truth, he fulfills his promises. Right. And so this is something that we can count on, that God fulfills his
1: promises. So he doesn't have more to say about Zechariah because he's done a lot already on Zechariah. And now he goes to Matthew 21, six through seven. The disciples went and did as Jesus had commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And Luther's going to spend some time trying to figure out the math. There's one guy how does he sit on two animals? Right. <laughs> how many, there's 12 disciples and there's lots of crowd. How many cloaks are on these animals? So he's trying to explain the math of how many cloaks and how many animals does Jesus sit on.
0: So he he sort of sort of brushes that all away with this term and I'm going to I'm going to synecticky. Synecticky. Apart go. for the whole. Right. And and Luther or a hole for the part. A hole for the part or a part for the whole. And so what Luther says is this is a synecdoche. This is this is where you know, where, and he says the Gospels, the Scripture, throughout Scripture, Synecdoche is all over. When, when they say all of Israel showed up in Jerusalem, well, not all of Israel. Showed, people from all over Israel showed up in Jerusalem for this meeting or whatever it was in the Old Testament. You know, they, there's always the, 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 the Scriptures are full of,
1: these, of Synecdoche. So, Mike, I won an award in a class from a professor who had assigned us reading. And in that reading was the word synecdoche. And he asked everyone in the class who can explain synecdoche. And he called on students until he got the right answer. Called on several students. Finally, he got to me. I explained synecdoche right. And I won a prize. I won a book. And I still have the book on my shelf. Oh, yeah. it's a book on synecdoche? <laughs> no, it was actually a book on the parable of the prodigal son and all the ways throughout the centuries our work has illustrated the parable. The prize was unrelated to the word synecdoche. Oh, okay. okay. But I explained the word synecdoche, so I got a prize. All right. Woo-hoo. So, so here's how Luther says that word. Where a thing which applies only to some of them is ascribed in general to a whole group. So they, the disciples put their cloaks on the cult. Probably just one disciple put his cloak on there. You don't need all of the cloaks on there. He rides on them. He only needs to ride on one of the animals to be riding on them. Right. One of the
0: points that Luther makes in paragraph 85 is that Luther's guessing that he probably rode on the colt. On the and the young. donkey follows. Right. And, and And then Luther gets into this discussion on the way the the old man we'll call it the the old man burdened by the law or the the rational man I'll say um, who when when we think of good and evil rationally we think we have to do good and evil right we have to do good things and and the gospel just doesn't come into play we rationally can't imagine the gospel the gospel comes from outside of us and it's something that is proclaimed to us and and so what what we end up with is if we have faith in the gospel then then Christ mounts the young donkey and that old donkey of rationality and the old donkey of
1: good works and burden of the, and, and following the law follows naturally so Christ dwells through faith in the inner man And through the transformation of the inner man, the outer man of good works will follow in the same way Christ rode on the colt and the donkey follows. This is an allegorical reading where you take two animals. And he's built up the argument that the donkey is the outer man, the colt is the inner man, Christ rides on the inner man, and the outer man follows. Right. Okay, so right. we've got that, and he says in paragraph 86, See, this is the reason Christ rides upon the colt and not upon the donkey, yet wants to have both for his entrance, for both body and soul must be saved. So on to paragraph number 87, this
0: is uh, about the cloaks. And and one of the things that Luther points out is that the apostles put their cloaks on the donkey, but the people put their cloaks on the ground. So he's going to talk specifically here about the
1: cloaks, the cloaks that go on. I mean, this is really detailed, but we're going to keep going. So, so the cloaks are a good example of the apostles with which the Christian church is covered and adorned and Christ is praised and only honored namely through the preaching and confession. Um so as the apostles put their cloaks on Christ, the apostles are adorned and covered with Christ. So, so that's the, 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 the here, here how Paul
0: puts lays his cloak on the colt. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is
1: quoting First Corinthians chapter ten. Um, and Hebrews 13, remember your leaders and those who spoke to you the word of God, consider their end and imitate their faith. So you've got the apostles and their cloaks are on the colt, and Christ rides on top of the cloak, which is on top of the colt. So the inner man. Has the cloak and Christ on it. Okay. So, now this is, the next one is, you know, uh, although Christ could mount on the donkey himself, the apostles lift him up and proclaim him over themselves. They do not preach themselves, nor do they ride on the colt themselves. The apostles preach Christ. Their cloaks are on Christ. The next one is the people putting the cloaks on the road. And this is... Matthew 21 verse 8, much of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So now we've got an explanation of the cloaks on the colt. Now we get cloaks on the road. And that means that we should, according to the example of the apostles, honor, adorn, and impelish Christ also with our own confessions and all of our life so that we divest ourselves of all of the praises for wisdom and holiness and completely submit ourselves to Christ alone. So here you've got the cloaks on the road is the activity of the church And in their praises of Christ. That's our
0: ongoing work as Christ continues to work his way to the end day through the... As the
1: animal moves towards Jerusalem, Christ is moving to the end times. Our good works stay with him in that journey, continuing to be adored by him. Right.
0: So the next section is, he goes into a discussion on the the two different kinds of branches. We have palm branches and we have have, uh, olive branches. And he says, you know, palm branches are known for being very, very strong, and so
1: palm. Uh, Palm was the the wood that was used for kings, made into a beam. It doesn't bend under any load. It holds itself up against the load. So he has the palm branches, which I think of like as these floppy little leafy things. And instead, he uses a palm as a description of something that's unbending and unyielding and how we wave our spirits unbending and unyielding to Christ, not encumbered by what the world would say against us. We stand strong with Christ. and, you know, maybe Luther, I, I've never. I, maybe he waves a different palm branch than I do on Sunday. <laughs> I,
0: I do a little bit of woodworking, I've, but I've never worked with palm wood. So I, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's pretty tough stuff, according to Luther. Um, and then olive branches are, uh, are for the Savior. And so what Luther is saying is that this is a proclamation that Christ is both the King and the Savior. Both
1: unbending and anointed to be our Savior. Right. The next right. text we have is Matthew 21, 9, and, and this is now the last verse in this text. So, you know, we're getting towards the end of our uh, secret meaning. The text here is, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And he's going to have uh, a start by saying, Christ is yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, that the way that Christ is bringing our salvation is in unity with how the people in the Old Testament cried for salvation. And that is how he's going to kind of connect with that word Hosanna being a very strong Old Testament word. It's on the lips of the people in the New Testament now too. Well,
0: he's also saying it goes, uh, the crowds that went before him and followed him. So you have the ones before him are the Old Testament saints who, shouting hosanna! Who are shouting hosanna? And then you have the ones that are following him, that are also praising him. But that's the New Testament saints. But we are everyone all, is saying hosanna. Everybody is saying hosanna and worshiping Christ. Both those who come before him, the, his coming, and those who are after his coming. So we are we
1: are part of the crowd that are f- far after. Him. Now, in terms of liturgy, Mike, this would be a spot to say that there is, I think, some purposefulness in using words of the past that uh, as our. People of the past used church words. We don't have to completely abandon church words. They have a, uh, an ability to say there's continuity between Christ yesterday, today, and forever. The word Hosanna is an Old Testament word used in the New Testament, and we can still use it today with a sense of continuity. Yep, absolutely. Um, I think that about does it on that this That does. One. And uh, so... We have looked through the meaning for faith, the meaning for good works, and the allegorical reading that helps prepare us to be the church that approaches the last times. Uh, we are going to look at a few more sermons inside this winter postal in the same pattern. And uh, if we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you're enjoying this format, please reach out to us, write us, let us know. We, we can continue going. Or we could start doing something else. And how is this different from our previous format? Previously, what we would do is we would take, say, a book or a document that Luther wrote, write about a bunch of historical context, uh, speak about how it was received by people, talk about its impact on the church, but not that directly quote from and walk through the text. We looked more at the historical context of the text, and here with the sermons, we're looking right at the text. Yeah. So, would love love hearing from you. Hopefully, you can uh, give us a little bit of feedback and we'll we'll uh, we'll go from there. And we no matter what format we do, we will continue to joy over a nice cold beer. Cheers. Cheers.